1: The Telegraph. the Telegraph
0: Podcasts
2: Hi there podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club. Telegraph Audio Football Club or as we're calling it and you can too, AFC Telegraph. On the list for discussion today between me and my AFC Telegraph teammates, Jose Mourinho, why can't he get a better tune out of his Manchester United team? Has he mislaid the dressing room? And are we in the middle of his trademark third season implosion? will address the London derby at Stamford Bridge, featuring two very exciting teams that can't defend. Long may it continue. It's Huddersfield's turn to be eviscerated by the Manchester City footballing Ubermen, but how does Team Telegraph feel about the -the behind-the-scenes documentary which has been taking online streaming services by storm? Plus, stadium delays, sensible defensive recruitment, and some very rude St Mirren supporters. But first, it's time for your mystery player. Cue the silly music. This week, we will begin AFC Telegraph with a visit from a footballer who will give us some mysterious clues about their identity, All will be revealed at the end of the podcast. So keep on listening. Here is this week's Stranger. Hello, you might recognise me from scoring an overhead kick against Edwin van der Sar in 2008. My most prized piece of football memorabilia is the one England cap I received, which is framed and up on my wall. Ponder away and remain listening until the end of the episode to hear who it is. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by European football authority Mina Rizuki, who bore witness to Cristiano Ronaldo's debut for Juventus at the weekend in fair Verona. Mina, how was Cristiano? How is the great man?
0: A bit rubbish. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but he wasn't obviously like, you know, the Ronaldo... Of Real Madrid yet, but it's going to take time for him to embed within the tactics and to realise how tough it is to play in Italian Serie A. I mean, he was playing one of the worst teams in Cava Verona, but what they are is a very physical side, and they're playing at home, obviously. So they had all their supporters like just shouting Kiev and and I don't think the tactics are yet there on on an on an attacking level. You saw that Di Balla couldn't really offer him the type of assistance that Ronaldo would need or make the most of any openings and spaces that Ronaldo created for him. So there still needs to be that whole chemistry thing coming into play. But obviously, whenever he touches the ball, you can see his quality is far better than all the others. Uh, You can see that he's really special. And the fact that he smiled from beginning to end is something I've rarely seen of him. So he was never frustrated, never upset. He just seemed really happy, even in the press room afterwards, even the fact that he didn't get a goal, which Allegri was more upset about than he was. He was Ronaldo.
2: Living in Italy will do that to a person. It would make anyone extremely happy. We've also got the acceptable face of proper football journalism here in Matt Law. Matt, acceptable. How, how did you Not spend true. your weekend, That
3: I spent my weekend watching Arsenal again, actually. A thrill? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a thrill. It was thrilling stuff at the Stamford Bridge. Not sure the managers will have found it particularly. Thrilling. I think it's stressful they'd have found it. But no, it was... Uh, Chelsea are going to be fun to watch, but Arsenal are going to be really fun to watch. I think at some point they will thrash some sort
2: of middling to lower Premier
3: League team and look really good. But there's going to be a lot of goals with them.
2: We'll certainly get back into Arsenal very soon. Finally, with us here in the audio recording facility, it's our biggest fan of inverted wingers, magnetic (laughs) whiteboards and split fullbacks. It's the enormous tactical brain of JJ Ball. What's going on, JJ?
1: I'm just good. I do actually like those whiteboards. Yes. uh, If I could have one in my house, I would. What's stopping you? Well... I think. They really, say, no, I'm no. going to go now. No. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's start with the Sunday game: Brighton and Hove Albion beating Manchester United 3-2 on the south coast. JJ, we're exchanging messages during this game. I will break the sacred encryption of WhatsApp uh, and reveal that you sent me a message saying United are awful. Awful in what way? And why are they so bad at the moment?
1: There is so much wrong. That they were. That performance against Brighton was so, so poor. It lacked cohesion, there was no fluidity, there was no clear plan. A lot of people have said, I've seen pundits have said, they didn't know what their, what their plan was for Man United in that game. And I totally agree. They didn't, particularly, they didn't press high, they didn't have a, a low block, they didn't have... Like, whenever they tried to play out from the back, there was no clear option. There was so many times that Pogwa lost the ball. I went through watching the game and there's just no one to pass to. Other than the back. advertising board at one point was, was <laughs> open for him yeah but then that again I, I know it's a stupid pass but the right back should have been there like that's where it should have been and Pose is like ah what are you doing and I totally understand what's going on with them everything about them they lack that fear factor that Man United once had and I think Jermaine Defoe as well said that he says it's not the same as it used to be
2: so defensively error prone throughout the game how, how do they fix that Mina?
0: I just think Mourinho's not coaching this team. It looks like it's a team. He's that's, not coaching them. No, they just yeah. have no understanding of a tactical understanding or tactical discipline. This is Mourinho is a wonderful coach. I mean, this doesn't take it away from him. But what he is, he's a he's a, a coach who perfects teams, not ones that can create one and and really build one from scratch. He's always gone to sides. The ones that have excelled are ones that have been previously built. By somebody else, and he just tweaks it and ensures that they start winning properly by, you know, mental strength or whatever it is. But on this occasion, he's being forced to start from scratch. And you can see he's out of his depth. On a defensive unit, I mean, Lindelof was a disaster for me. And and, and I know that Bayi like obviously conceded the penalty and but he was just left on his own basically. There was no defensive structure. The midfielders don't know what spaces to run into to provide defensive cover as well as attacking contributions. And it just seems like the fact that Lukaku's only twenty-four touches of the ball it shows that they have no idea what they're going back to front. And he talks about bringing in signings and let's bringing in centre backs. He brought in those two. He brought in Lindelof and Baye. But the problem is, is that he doesn't have a defensive structure. And you can bring in the best players in the world, the best Godin or or Sergio Ramos or Giorgio Calini. But if you don't have a defensive unit that understands how to play with one another, how to pass the ball, and ensure the midfield comes back and protects you as well, then you're never going to win. And I just think Mourinho needs to. Up his game on a tactical level. He's had
1: enough time to get that together as well. He's had those players for a long time. It's really surprising that they're not cohesive. They're not coached.
0: Yeah, this is what it is. It's it looks weird. Like... like other
1: managers look at like Bournemouth, like are just properly drilled, and you see it. It's proper, you know. It's all there. The shapes there. Brighton look like Brighton, that. Brighton, exactly. Brighton were amazing. And they had a plan. Yeah.
0: And they knew what to do and how to press and they would always have three or four or five even attacking whoever had the ball. And the way that they ran looked like they had a clear the intensity as well. What was striking as well about United was how they just sort of fell apart when mm-hmm. they started conceding. And obviously when you have a coach, and Mourinho reminds me so much of Antonio Conte, obviously because I come from a Serie A background. that It's just kind of, if I'm not happy, I'm going to make you all know that. And at the same time, that is obviously going to feed into all the players. They realise that we don't have a plan. Our coach doesn't know what to do. He already thinks we're rubbish anyway. So they have no confidence. They have no leaders on that side.
2: He seems so listless now and, and lacking in energy. It wasn't the sort of throwing the toys out of the pram on Sunday after the game, but it was just low energy. He seemed beaten. Was it Real Madrid that broke him, do we think? Was there any sign of him this sort of Mourinho at Internazionale?
0: No, God, no. But he was God in Inter and he was God at Chelsea. I think that he is the kind of guy that you would bring in where he's allowed to be the big boss. He chooses the players. He chooses what's going on. And he's better off in teams and rather clubs that haven't had much of an identity Inter was always a winning team, obviously, but it didn't really have the strong identity that Milan or Juventus had. And when they brought him in, they allowed him to be God, someone that was going to take over from Mancini and decide everything. Real Madrid was the first time that he went to a club whose reputation is much bigger than that of any coach or player they'll ever have. And working with champions who looked at his tactics and perhaps at times doubted him, from Sergio Ramos in particular, when it came to defensive unit structures, who would say, look, we've done this for a long time. You'd never played the sport, so we're going to do it our way. And just having a team that was torn apart by who wanted to be pro-Mourinho, there was too many factions within that. And he thought that his reputation alone would withstand the pressure and earn the respect of everyone, but it didn't. Because he realised he was with people who are bigger, perhaps, and even better than he was. And after that, he was never the same.
2: Do we think the players are still on board with him at United, Matt?
3: No, it's the same script with Mourinho. I mean, I was, I was thinking back to covering him so closely with, with Chelsea uh, yesterday and it's the exact same script every time. What I think Mourinho is in terms of his management is method is pretty much to keep buying and keep changing players because he manages with fear. So he's always trying to keep his players on, on their toes, always trying to make them fear for their places and it's a way of trying to bring out almost overperformance from them I've got to overpower, because otherwise he'll bring someone in. And I think it's why he often picks fights with the biggest player in a squad or one of the biggest players, because that says to the other players, no-one's safe under me. Absolutely no-one's safe. But, but this comes then, to
2: stream here, because he's got three left-wingers in the United <laughs> that could all be in the first season. But team. then
3: what, what tends to happen, and where it all falls down, is by coming into the third season, is owners and squads just start to say no to him. So the owners... And chief executives and sporting directors will start to say, No, we're not spending 100 million again. You know, we've won titles under you, we won cups. We don't need to spend 100 million again. So then his plan starts to fall down and the players can start to mobilize against him. Because whereas when he keeps changing, there's not groups of players who can really start to fight against him almost. But when the changing stops, they start to mobilize. And that's what you see every time with him. I also think for the first time in his career, probably. He's in a league where the ability to spend and coach well is spread out quite thinly across the Premier League. Man City can spend more than everybody else, but everybody can now afford to to spend well and coach well. And his big success at Chelsea the first time, and Real Madrid and Inter, he was operating in leagues where only one or two clubs could do that.
2: Tricky future for Jose Mourinho, it would seem at Old Trafford. Uh, let's move on to Chelsea versus Arsenal. Three two victory for Chelsea. Wh- which of these two teams do we think Mina looks further along in their development under a new manager?
0: To be honest, I think they're on par. I mean, I know that at the moment that Chelsea obviously have two wins under their belt, and you can see that they they have the the attack is more sorted out than what Arsenal have going forward. I think that. Had Arsenal had better finishes, though, we might not be saying the same thing. But it looks like they're both on par. They both have defensive weaknesses that they've got to figure out at the moment. Sadly got lucky that he faced Arsenal, who didn't make the most of their chances. And um, Some
2: astonishing misses from Arsenal. In, in this, yeah. Astonishing,
0: really quite astonishing. But what I do think is on a... In terms of confidence, at least on a mental level, I think Chelsea are a little further along. They seem to believe in their power. They seem to really trust their coach at the moment. So at least going forward, the patterns of play are more defined and uh, it's a lot more courage being shown from them. But otherwise, I think Unai Emery will also start getting his team to play the way that he wants to. The weird thing about
3: Arsenal, I, I was there, and the weird thing about Arsenal was that they battered Chelsea for the last 15 minutes of the first half, absolutely battered them. They could have scored like four goals. You'd imagine going into the second half, they'd really have the momentum with them. You know, they've come back, they're battering them. And then they came out a completely different side. It looked like he'd decided, or someone had decided, let's try and take the draw here. Let's completely try and shut this game down. Because they went from really going at Chelsea and attacking them and leaving a lot of space the other way to just trying to see the game out.
2: But isn't that fair enough? Because they were so porous in the first it's, half. It's not going to work and, and, with Arsenal. It's right. just
3: not gonna, they haven't got the defenders to do that. Isn't
2: he proving a point, though? Like, we can do this. You know, isn't that sort of...
3: But the, they can't. I mean, they ended up losing the game. I, I actually think they'd have had a good chance of winning that game if they'd have carried on. They could have conceded another four goals, but they'd have had a good chance of winning that game by just going, going for Chelsea in the second half. They don't have the players... And they don't have the defence to shut the game down, and I was really disappointed in them for that because I was, I was enjoying them a lot in the first half.
2: What about the playing the ball out from the back strategy, JJ? Did we see? Uh, it seemed like there was a little bit less of that. Uh had their had their toes burnt
1: by that strategy in the opening weekend. Yeah, for there's month. a lot of noise about that. I mean, it's I think it's well, it's difficult. There's no right or wrong way to play football. Clearly, if you are in the, in the elite the elite of uh, any teams, the best way to be able to control how you play and approach and get into the final third is by having the ball that is more likely to happen if you control the way you build up from the back. If you just hit it long into the middle of the pitch, it's a bit of a dice roll. You can you can, you can know make the odds in your favour a little bit by having certain kinds of players, like a Fellaini, something like that, to target. But it makes sense to try and build up from the back. The best teams tend to do it. But they mix it up against Chelsea and they kind of have to because otherwise, if you know you're going to do it every single time, then you just press high from the top and you've got... You know, Willian and uh, and Pedro pushing high up, Morata as well covering the six. So that's obviously going to be a thing. Uh, they swap um, Xhaka and gunduz were coming and dropping between them to to pick the ball up and, and carry it forward. And they look like they're starting to get handle on, on the positioning where they should be. I agree. It's still not it's not not quite there yet. I think Sarri's team looks quite fun to play for. They look quite
2: <laughs> full of energy. Do we, do we think do we get that from the players, Matt? That the players are enjoying playing for Sarri? Are they having the whole Sarri ball thing?
3: having it now, but they have every manager to start with. Every manager's the new new great thing, and isn't it great that he does something different from the last manager? I'm actually getting a bit sick of the Chelsea players trying to rubbish Conte because he, he won the Premier League with a squad that didn't really have the right to win that Premier League.
2: Who was it that did the Instagram post where they... It was Willian. That emojis is so him, naughty, yeah. isn't it? Like, you're putting trophies on your manager every, to get him out of the photo. Every
3: interview at the moment that a Chelsea player does, there's a little kind of dig in there. Oh, this is much better than when Conte helped yeah. us win the Premier League and win the FA Cup. But I, the attacking players will certainly enjoy it, because the first 30 minutes, they pressed high, they dominated possession, everybody was involved... But I just think, going on to Chelsea, just one point I wanted to make on Chelsea. Marcus Alonso kind of, I think, encapsulates what Chelsea will be a bit like under Sari because he set up their first goal, he scored their winner. Going forward, he was brilliant as he is. But going the other way, he was getting done every single time, particularly in the first half. And it's a really difficult balance to strike with someone like him. And I think that's going to be how they are. Going forwards, they're all going to look brilliant going the other way and, and turning back on goal, I think they could be exposed a lot. It's part of the plan though, isn't it? It's,
1: it's defending by attacking. Yeah, yeah. Him up there. Yes. And like, like he should never have been where he was for the goal no, at the end. No, no chance. Um, but I, I, th- I quite like that. And the way that he gets forward then means that William could come inside as the forward to be good there. And and on a, that Conte note, Murata as well came out after the game and said that um, he enjoys playing more now because he's not having to chase long balls. Yeah. <laughs> and just hold it up. And it's good because he can... Uh, the, the thing he specifically said was that you can get it shift it wide and go into the space you can play one twos. you can get and play his games you'll probably get more confidence with that it can only make you have no fun in the pitch if you're just chasing a ball around like you're not this big lad you know you're just good at holding the ball up and bringing people into play and if you're suddenly told to hold it and chase these balls I mean it's just It drives you nuts. If you've ever played Sunday League or anything like that, that's what happens. You have to chase it and it's pointless. I might as well go home.
0: I totally understand the Conte thing. I remember when he was at Juventus, I mean, he did obviously wonderful things. He did wonderful things with the Italian national team too, but he can be a really hard man to play for. And I think the problem with Conte is he puts himself before everyone and his ego comes before everyone, the reputation of his club or whatever it is. And he's happy to say, okay, this is a 10-pound squad, so let's not expect too much because you're not all that great. He is so good at getting the basics right which is what makes him wonderful but the problem with Conte is he doesn't teach any of his players. He sort of runs the team like it's a bit like FIFA. He stands on the sideline and tells them exactly what to do like clear instructions and I remember there was a Champions League game when it was Juventus versus Real Madrid and he was actually saying move for left then move right and it, Cuadrado at the time was just so confused that Ronaldo just, still, just stole the ball went past him and scored a goal and it was like stop confusing them let them trust them to do their own thing but he doesn't have any faith in any of his players because he's so thinks, rigid,
1: isn't it? It's just a rigid structure. Yeah, yeah, so you
0: can imagine that that's so hard to play for. And if you don't agree with it, or you, and you, if you are a striker in the sense that Morata is, who doesn't like playing with such rigid things, or or Willian who likes to express himself, then you're going to hate playing for him. And I understand that.
1: On Arsenal, that boy, Gwen who made a lot of mistakes in the first game, I thought he was excellent against Chelsea. And uh, but it, I think it's the character that he brings to the team. He's got clear character; you can see it. You know in that Obama Yang miss where he punts over, <laughs> and he goes to the floor and he's going, Rarrr! "Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> oh, blew it up." <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's doing that. Uh, i have not seen an Arsenal player do that for ages. And you've got players like so. <laughs> I have some stats up. Boy, um, Henrique Mctarian has given the ball away 28 times in his two games in the league so far. He doesn't do enough off the ball to defensively at all. I think Ozil's about the same. I know he has all the running stats and everything, but you just see he's not quite... It's it's more gestures, I think. Sure enough, like, Xhaka gives the ball away quite a lot again, and he was taken off. I don't understand what it is Xhaka is really bringing. He's got a good range of passing, which is obviously good if you're going to play in the counter-attack, but they're not really. And he is a walking yellow card. Yeah, always
3: gets booked. He's always He's a liability.
1: And then he had a Lacazette and a were going before the game. Oh, we should play together. We are best pals. We play very nicely. But they came on, and Lacazette was the boy who gave the ball away for the third goal. Just jogs back. There was no again no clear linking between them when they came on. I think that will come with time. It's difficult for Emery just now because you know that's two defeats, two very difficult games. But that already means that they are just six points behind their boys at the top of the league. I think Tough.
3: Gendouzi could become a favourite of this because i 'cause I've I've
1: <laughs> really, really liked him the first
3: two games and I, I think he's going to be a sensational player. And you're right, his attitude looks He's nineteen as well. Yeah, it looks exactly so what Arsenal have been lacking. I mean he walked off arm in arm with uh with David Luiz, which was which was brilliant trying to tell them apart. But um <laughs> <laughs> But he The shirt's the clue. Into yeah, a car park of ricks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um <laughs> He already looked like he'd learned from his first game and still brought all the confidence from his first game too. He's going to be good.
2: Very encouraging. Plenty of work to do for both sides, clearly. But we won't be too upset if their games continue being as exciting as they were on Saturday. Moving on to other exciting football teams. The all-conquering Manchester City beat Huddersfield 6-1. How long will it be enjoyable to watch Man City like this? Uh, it's all well and good, isn't it, being beautiful, having beautiful football and seeing off inferior teams like Huddersfield, but isn't there a bit of a broader problem here that you can have a game like this in the same weekend as a game as drab as Cardiff Neil Newcastle 0? Doesn't this sum up something bad about the Premier League? It's,
3: well, yeah, I think, I think there's two separate issues there. I think if you don't enjoy watching Man City, you need to go and get a different sport because They're just brilliant to watch. They are a treat. I I mean, watching David Silva and Aguero at weekend, absolutely fantastic. So I I personally don't think I'd ever get sick of watching Manchester City. They're fantastic to watch.
2: What if they were a dominant for sort of 10 years? But that's a different...
3: I think the two things are separate. That's a Premier League problem rather than a Manchester City problem. I think you can really enjoy watching Manchester City and still be upset if the competitive edge of the Premier League disappears. Hopefully this season it will be Liverpool who managed to really push them and I think they can. I don't have a problem with Man City beating team 6 1. What I have a problem with, like I say, from the competition is if there, there aren't other teams who can keep up with them. They don't have to be winning 6 1. But if there's no one who can keep up with them then the competition becomes boring. Manchester City don't become
1: boring. I love I just love watching them. And I think it's I love that it proved everyone wrong who said Guardiola couldn't do it in the Premier League. I like that that simple football philosophy, like the Renus Michel, Johan Cruyff things. It's, like, it's you know a variation of that. It's Guardiola style. I like that that works well within what's supposed to be the physical better than everyone else Premier League. I don't think it ruins it at all if they're pumping people every week. There's different ways to approach it. Like Huddersfield, like Wagner didn't really seem to know quite how to approach it for a lot of the game. They were a low block. Some of it they they pressed high. It, there was, you know they didn't seem to know clearly what they wanted to do. They're trying to mix it up a bit, and they were taken apart by a far superior team. It's difficult for smaller teams. How do you approach games against that? Because either you go for a low block and just hope for a, a nil-nil or one-nil or something like that. But I think it's important to just have a go. Liverpool showed that you can have a go. You can push them. Celtic did it a couple of seasons ago, right? So you just go up against them, push them high, and mistakes will be made. They're not perfect, and you can definitely get at them.
3: It's really interesting. They struggled against Huddersfield last season. Mm. And as JJ just pointed out, it's really interesting that a team and a set of players and a squad as good as Man City, that, that Guardiola will still find a different plan to to take them down. I mean, so many managers and so many teams of you know their strengths would just do what they always do, mm-hmm. assuming that they will take this inferior bunch of players apart. And yet, he looked at it, he looked at last season and actually came up with a specific plan for Huddersfield, which is a bit weird, but also shows how brilliant he is.
1: I mean, surely that should be what every manager is doing, though, isn't it? Like, it, it but sure, they don't, do they? Yeah. I no, mean, well, they so many not. against this inferior is, he's teams. One, um,
0: he's one of the most prepared coaches when it comes to the Premier League, and and I think that in the Premier League, if you have an identity, you're already eighty percent likely to win a game. I oh, mean, yeah, if yeah. you have just a style of play, whether whatever a plan A, as long as you have a plan A, you're more likely to win. But the problem that I've, I find is that there was a certain reluctance to really go for it in the, in the way that you saw sort of Brighton go for it against United. It's that we know that they're really good, and if we offer them too much space, then they're going to kill us. So you're stuck in no man's landers, and should we really? They have only Fernandinho. Defensively, they can be torn apart if you really go for them. And we've seen that from European competition. We've seen what Liverpool have done for them. We've seen Pep Guardiola's sides always suffer at the back if you run straight at them. But the fact is is that you do have to have very fast players and you do have to have a clear plan on how you're going to do that. And the problem is that I feel like most sides just face City and feel that they're, they're too scared to do anything. They're too scared to express themselves because they're scared to leave gaps behind and have them just tear them apart. But if you go in with the confidence of trying to beat them or trying to play them, I don't think they're that strong defensively and like they can be gotten out. We've
2: seen plenty of Pep's meticulous planning in the Manchester City documentary... Today
0: I didn't see the desire to win. Today I didn't see it. Some of you play better when you're angry with me. So if you hate me, hate me, guys. No problem at all. But every single training session, every single game, you have to be there, ready. I know your quality is there. I know you are talented players. But to become a top top team, you have to learn to play football with scorch.
2: That was part of the trailer from the series All or Nothing on Amazon Prime. Clearly, it was a sanitized and hagiographic product that uh, Amazon put out but I really found the access exciting to be seen behind the scenes of a Premier League team in much the same way you see a lot in in NFL was there anything in the documentary which surprised
1: any of you? No, uh, having read I've, No, I've, just I've, a firm no well, it's just, I, just, <laughs> uh, I know it all uh, No it's not that, I just um, I am fascinated by the things that Gardula does on the pitch, that's how I like football, it should be exciting, it should be attacking, it should be all about beautiful passages of play and you defend by attacking. And I think from reading all these books I've read on Guardiola, the one thing that surprised me actually is that in the, the several things I've read, Guardiola likes to stay away from the dressing room before games because that's the players that's the players' zone. You know, they they're not meant to go in there. That's what they get to do. But he does go in quite a bit in that that city dressing room and gives them uh, team talks. It's really interesting seeing the team talks. I'm struggling to follow him. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, I can't really him. understand.
2: What it, I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> energy and a lot of pointing and a lot of Kevin go here, but. I'd be confused if I was a player But maybe I'm thick
1: But then I think they must do Again, this is the thing I can't possibly say But they, they must do things on the training ground They must focus on this a lot And they're going through all the different routines And, and that's
2: the stuff you're not seeing Because it's, it's sensitive
1: Of course And then he's referencing the stuff That he's gone through before Like when he's saying them to go out wide Or you stay here, you follow him That's stuff they've been briefed on before You know, they all get stuff on an iPad And show them exactly what they're meant to be doing Or, or other tablets are available But they uh, do all that during the week, right? And <laughs> then if he just reminds them what they're doing it but it's so frantic, so passionate, and I I love the way like I watching it. I'm going like, yeah, let's go out, let's go and win a game. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, uh, you know, let's go and buy some more craft beer. Uh, at three in the afternoon. I love the energy it comes through, and you can see why it sort of drains him because he's so into it, so passionate. And it, as well, it, it come back to the note of um, whether it's a, a good thing for Premier League. It, it, this is a one-off. We'll only have this for another year or so, two years at most. He still leave. He'll go somewhere else. He only does it for three, four years.
0: You never know. But you know what I thought was really interesting is actually the point where he came out and said, you know, sometimes I don't know what to do and I actually don't have an idea. That really surprised me, firstly, that he even admitted it. But... When he said that and he said, it's kind of like fake it until you make it. And I just thought it's so true. Like if you're a player and you're on a team and, and there's a moment when you start feeling like, OK, well, this team might have the better of us. And you look to your coach and you feel the safety that he understands what he's doing. It really does help you. And I think this is where Mourinho's sides are sort of suffering in the way that they look to him and he's just angry at, at your own individual like <laughs> performance rather than having a plan to figure it out. And it's just, I think for me, like I'm personally one of those that feels like mentally, mentality means everything and having the confidence and ability and and believing in your coach and believing in your team will come and support you if something happens. And if your opponent gets the better of you, that makes it different. And what Guardiola has got on that level and what he's guaranteed you is I'm so keen to make sure that they believe in me and believe in the plan. It doesn't matter what happens. I just need to make sure that they feel confident. And that's what's making the difference. I'm
3: obviously more miserable. 'Cause I <laughs> I didn't love it. No. Um, it's so sanitized. I mean, I wanna be hearing about when they do all their transfer committee stuff and you kind of see the name scribbled out and I wanna be hearing how they ended up with Claudio Bravo as the goalkeeper. I wanna be hearing about how Yaya Torre was left out to the point where he ended up attacking Pep so viciously this summer. You know, Yaya Torre is a legend of Manchester City. He was properly focal to their kind of uprising as Manchester Football Club. Everyone in Manchester loves football now. And it's just glossed over completely. And it's almost felt to me that Yaya Torre, I think Sam Wallace made this point, is used in that that documentary as a way of him saying nice things about Guardiola and almost to show, look, he actually does like him or he does think he's great. There's other stuff he said. It's just really bitter and sour grapes. It's all—it's only the good stuff, isn't it? And isn't it that the point of it,
0: though? It is the point of it, really but I don't
3: think that makes a great documentary because I think it's far more interesting if you'd actually go through some of the stuff that went wrong when Guardiola got there and some of the stuff he felt he had to sort out and what was wrong within it, and you don't get any of that. It just kind of skims over. Oh, we had quite a difficult first season. Yeah, we were disappointed, but look at us now. I mean, to be fair, they did only start filming
1: in the... Second well, season. yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they can still talk about it, can't? they? There's no reason why you can't talk about it. I guess so. It. The Yaya Touré stuff's interesting because I think he is in episode four. I think they show him doing stuff with the kids and they talk about him being a, a Man City legend, and it is almost like they're trying to, you know, smooth Cut over out. that that whole bit. But they didn't get along very well at Barcelona,
3: apparently. No, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. I'd, I'd just like to know more about the the warts aren't in there when it's warts you know warts and all documentary it's not meant to be that but I'd like it to be I'd like the
2: warts maybe we get outtakes and bloopers (laughs) episode to look forward to at the end of the series let's move down south now and to Tottenham's new home for the next hundred years Wembley Stadium of course Harry Kane scoring his first ever goal in August
1: Hi guys Uh, big win for us today obviously nice to get on the score sheet as well Uh, now know what it feels like score in August, of course, so hopefully I can continue it next week, all the
2: best. Do we think the players care about all the stuff happening off the pitch, Matt? Do, do they mind that they're not going to move into their new stadium when planned? I think I mind, because it's much easier for me to get to. This so. is this <laughs> is uh, very very high in Jan Vertonghen's thoughts as well, I think. Yeah. How is Matt Law getting to cover this it's, game?
3: It's an extremely important point to make, but um, I think what they care about is they care about it within the broader sense of what's been going on at Tottenham, i.e. I was at Pochettino's press conference last Thursday and he said that players had been asking him what went on in the transfer market then, boss. You know, what, what happened? Why haven't we got anyone? And I think within the broader thing of no players leaving, no players coming in, hang on, we were meant to be going to our new shiny stadium. We're not. Is everything as great as it's meant to be? I think they care from that sense. I don't think they care from a performance sense. I don't think they think, oh, us not going. They've done well at Wembley. They've actually given what a big thing it was this time last year of can they play at Wembley, they always lose at Wembley. They've done well at Wembley. I think they had the third best home record in the league last season. So I don't think they mind from a performance sense. I just think they mind from a, are we going where we thought we were going? Is this club about to explode like we thought it was explode? Or is it going to not really explode? Explode in
2: a good way. Yeah, explode in a good way. (laughs) Would you be annoyed if you were a Spurs fan, Mina?
0: Yeah, absolutely, I would be. Largely because, you know, if, if I had a season ticket and I've paid an, a significant sort of premium because of this new shiny stadium and then be told, OK, well, actually, we're going to change the scheduling. There's a potential that we'll be here for much longer than we're stating. There's a lack of transparency at the moment in talking to the fans. And I think that they're also, I understand that they've now chosen to, to refund some of their fans. But in the first one, when, when they were playing They should have refunded the whole price for the Fulham game. They should have done a gesture of goodwill in terms of a a financial gesture of goodwill to all their fans who've come and agreed to pay certain premiums to go and watch them. And I think that the way they went about it was that it was more reactions. Okay, we've got a lot of complaints. So now we'll start doing something on that level. I don't think there's a huge transparency on as to how long, what's going to happen when they face Manchester City. Where will it be? Will it be in Wembley? Will it not be? if they just are a little bit more clear about what's going on. Because let's be honest, we all know that with stadiums and when you're rebuilding projects or even if it's your own house, that it takes ages and there's always delays and you're always crying at the end of it, you know. Seats just, aren't as
2: nice as you thought. You can't get <laughs> access to the cheese room.
0: That, exactly that, Do you know. How, what's the Do point? you have a cheese
2: room? No, there's one at the new Spurs stadium. Oh, yesterday. I thought we would talking about our own houses. No, no, I was uh, was doing a joke. <laughs> okay.
1: And it landed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, just just be transparent about it, that's all.
2: That's your answer, Daniel Levy. We've solved it for you. Mina Rizuki's PR win, refund the fans for the Fulham game. No harm done. I'd like to talk about a very exciting subject now, which is building from the back. Looking at West Ham's game specifically against Bournemouth, uh, lots of money spent by Pellegrini, JJ, but much the same in defence. Balbuena, the only new name in their back four on Saturday, and still the same failings. Do you think that prioritising the defence remains the best way to sort out a team? Uh, and why aren't more teams doing it that way?
1: Oh, I mean, that's very difficult. I mean, you want to prioritise how to win and you want to make sure that you've got your style coming through. Pellegrini came out and said after the game that he thinks the players are still a bit too set in their ways of being a counter-attacking defensive team, which they've been for, you know, however long. Changing that mentality is very difficult. They've signed some very good players that Felipe Anderson looks exceptional already. You must watch him in Serie A quite a bit, yeah. He's something else. He is very good. Yeah, so he's been great. They've got some decent players. That Balbuena uh, is not all there for me. Like his uh, his attempted tackle to stop Callum Wilson is like a crime against defending. He doesn't even put a it's a half-hearted leg out. By the way, that Callum Wilson's goal is so good. The pass to get him in, and then the first touch to turn and to go at five players is, is amazing. But on to West Ham. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Working your team defensively you can. it depends how you want to approach it either you can, you want to work out where you press the ball you want to work out where your triggers are when you want to attack do you want to press them out wide do you want to force opposition wide so you can win it back there do you want to make them play through the middle Pellegrini has a whole bunch of players trying to gel together now which is I mean some of the best managers in the world have, you know it's impossible to do it straight away it takes time so you think maybe you want to have the older players that are there to have the chemistry going through but they weren't that good so you want to put the new players in they're clearly attacking Which is nice to watch, I'd imagine, for West Ham fans, but it's just gonna take a little bit more time, which they might slowly, you know, like there's a small hole in their hourglass if they it doesn't hurry up with what they're trying to do. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I think Pellegrini will have them okay with coaching and time. And he's proven before that he can do that. He's he's
3: spent though they've spent like a hundred million and yet it feels a bit like they've fallen into the West Ham trap of spending it all on the sort of exciting Felipe Andersons of this world and not spending enough on it on sort of what they need. I mean, Balbuena, 4 million from Corinthians, Okay, you can get bargains, lots of examples of it, but you've got to think that the chances of a 4 million pound signing from Corinthians coming in and being a top class defender in his first season are pretty, pretty slim because he's a 4 million pound player for a reason. And, you know, South American defenders in in the Premier League, generally need time. And for me as well, I know they weren't at fault for the goals necessarily against Bournemouth, although our tactical genius, Mr Ball may I'm different. But Noble and Wilshire as a two, I don't think they're going to be able to stick with that. They haven't got the legs to get around the pitch. They can't get back if they lose the ball. They're, they're actually quite similar players and they've both got similar weaknesses. I think in time, it's going to have to be one or the other.
2: By contrast to West Ham, Leicester really worked on their defence in the last few years. They added Harry Maguire last season, Johnny Evans this season. And was a clear weakness for them at right back uh, now, seemingly solved by Ricardo Pereira, Mina. They look well equipped this season, Leicester, to, to be the kind of the breakout team possibly. Do you like their chances on the evidence of uh, this weekend?
0: Their chances for what? Making it into the top they could six? Be, they, could,
2: they could do a Burnley. They might uh, unexpectedly qualify for the Europa League. I don't think they'll win the league. They do yet. a Leicester. They couldn't do a Leicester. No, no, no. Sorry, they won't
0: do that. They are a team that really just try to fix their problems and do things in a rather basic manner that I feel other sides don't do as well. They plug their gaps. They have an identity. They you know, they do a good job against the teams that they're supposed to. They really do study the opponent, and I think that gives them a leg up as to how well they'll do. It really depends on, at the end of the day, you can sort of predict which matches they're going to lose and they're probably going to lose to all the big teams because of of a certain level of quality that they may not have. Vardy's obviously got a red card. That's going to be a problem for them going forward. But yeah, they they are a better side than most of them, but nothing that I would say will do anything astonishing this season. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of
1: the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts.
2: Let's look ahead to Monday night's game. It's must-see TV, Liverpool versus Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Uh, Wilf Zaha signed a new contract this week, Matt. Are young players getting a bit wiser about... I know Zaha had his had his toes burned, as I've said already, once this podcast, uh, by, uh, by moving to Man United and it not going very well for him. Are young players getting a little bit savvier about sticking around at clubs where they've got a bit more of a chance uh, and are agents getting any better or are they all just malevolent figures that are in it for the, for the signing on fees? Well,
3: the timing of it would suggest that he was open for a move over the summer. I mean, literally the transfer window shut and a week or so later, when he can't move, he signs his contract, which cynically would suggest to me he was looking around to see what he could get and then when he couldn't get anything, signed his deal. That's not a bad thing. He's allowed to do that. I, I, I think with Zaha, I do think, thrives on being the big fish in a small pond and being the local hero. It suits him down to the ground and I worry that were he to leave all that, he would encounter some of the problems he encountered. at He's clearly a better player now and probably a more rounded individual, but I still think he would not necessarily thrive on being, um, I don't know how better to put this, a medium fish in a a big sea (laughs) rather than than a big fish in a small pond. And I think it it suits him really well. And what Palace are doing with Zaha is a lot like Spurs did with Bale, in that every time a transfer window shuts put another year on his contract, protect his value, cuddle him a little bit by giving him some more money so that hopefully he doesn't sulk or anything and and go window by window almost. Every single transfer window, people will look, he will get linked, they might lose him. Every time it shuts, he will get a bit more money. New contract, fans will be onside. I actually think it works for everybody.
0: I do think some young players... I just watched, watching Hector Bellerin and, and you just realise that he is so, he has got so much talent in the terms of his vision. But I don't think he was properly coached by Wenger. So you can see he just lacks all types of defensive awareness. And I think that as a young player, your priority in the very early years is to find a club that will let you play and teach you and help you progress in an environment in which winning is not the most important thing, but rather just you know teaching the players and developing and creating and building for the future. And I think that if you're young, that that should be your thing because you saw what happened at Manchester United and he wasn't being obviously offered too many chances, regardless of anything, not because of coaching, but because their priority is to win the matches and not your progression. So on that level, you have to be savvy and choose your teams wisely, choose where your chances are and build from there. And then if you believe in yourself, then take a punt on yourself and go to a big side. But I, he obviously, like I, you know, like Matt just explained, prefers being a big fish in a small pond.
2: Nothing wrong with playing for Palace, they're a wonderful team. Let's move on to the cleverest moment of the weekend in association with JJ Ball. JJ, nominate your cleverest <laughs> moment, please.
1: Ederson's long ball, long pass to Sergio Aguero for Man City's third. What did you like about it? Well, it's a few things. So we're talking about playing out from the back and all, all that jazz, um, which City do better than anyone, you know, a short constructive play out from back, perfect positioning. But they can mix up, and Ederson's passing is unbelievable. He's like David Beckham or Gerrard or Pierlo or something like that. It's such, it makes such a difference, though. They've got real weapons. So if you know when Huddersfield pushed high, suddenly he just launches it, and uh, well, you see what happens in, in this goal here. So in this one here, the weird thing is they've tried it a couple times in the game already, where Ederson's put the ball down, passed it short, got it back, and then launched it long. And there's a couple times that Huddersfield were able to recover, and they managed to see it out but Aguero stands about 5-10 yards behind Schindler from a goal kick I don't know if he realises that you can't be offside from the goal kick he must know or he loses track where Aguero is because as soon as the kick's coming Aguero drops 5 yards and runs across him and he's like Oh here he comes and the ball comes over the top it's perfectly perfectly placed to exactly where Aguero's running so Ederson not only gets the ball perfect he knows where Aguero's going to go he takes it down perfectly and then the nice thing that Aguero does then is control it turn back inside doesn't rush uh, I don't know what the Huddersfield goalkeeper is doing that far off his line he should maybe retreat straight away there's a defensive cover but he was all over the place in that game he made loads of errors the cool thing that Aguero does then is he controls it pushes it really quickly onto his left it's a stop-start move the kind of thing he learned he's a you know junior with coaching they just teach you these little tricks that's one of them done perfectly wins himself a yard of space and then he chips it with his left foot his wrong foot over the top of the goalkeeper it's an astonishing finish but it's the vision from the goalkeeper, so they've basically got a ball-playing goalkeeper, which I've never seen before. The, tra- so, the, the, um, the
3: trajectory of that pass that Edison made was really nice as well. Yeah. It wasn't kind of a horrible, loopy, just down. It was like I don't know, kind of golf terms. It, it was like, it, like yeah, it's like a lovely it. punchy sort of, not too high. I just really the
2: trajectory really got me.
1: And of course, that was the uh, first assist by a goalkeeper in the Premier League.
0: And imagine Alisson... whatever.
1: Apparently,
2: so No, yeah. for, for Manchester City. Is it? I fed you that stat and you got it wrong. Oh, well. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: it can't possibly be forever. Tom, tell yeah. us what it is. He's
2: obviously inspired by Jack
1: Hamilton. Of yeah,
2: Air. it's a real, It's one in the eye for Tony Coton. It was Manchester City's first goalkeeper assist in the Premier League. Let's move on to some exciting, happy news to end on from the Netherlands. I saw this over the weekend. Some Excelsior fans, they were at Feyenoord at the weekend. And Feyenoord, one match a season, they invite a load of kids from a paediatric hospital to go and watch them uh, and the Excelsior fans the away fans were in a tier above and this was all coordinated beforehand and it's, it's not it's not nasty it's a lovely act they all brought along some cuddly toys and at a certain point in the game they all threw them to the children below not as missiles as gifts on that topic who are the most good natured away fans you have encountered in all of your time enjoying the sport of football
1: I can only think of funny, like, funny things that they tend to do so the last one I saw recently was Rangers had St Mirren at Ibrox. And Rangers have planned this big, massive TIFO thing where all the, around the ground it says, <laughs> it says, this is our club, this is our city. There's a small little po- pocket of St Mirren fans have a little banner that says, your club is dead, your city is <laughs> I liked
3: the home fans this week, actually. West Brom fans. Yes. Sorry, sorry yes. to bring this up. But the, um, our <laughs> boiler he'd get in your team to the QPR fans <laughs> was a brilliant, brilliant chant. I saw some nice away fans though Just before the season started, when Leon came in Mina's favourite competition, the ICC, um, they they were at Chelsea and they all gave Ngolo Kante an amazing reception. Uh, A lot of them brought French flags, they were singing his name. He was a substitute and he was running up and down. They sang the Kante Messi song.
0: Les
2: petits, les gentils,
3: they literally gave him a hero's reception and it was really, really nice.
0: I don't want to be too biased, but I'm going to have to say it's Juventus on both home and in away
2: match.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this, I'll that say, does
2: sound quite biased.
0: <laughs> lemme, lemme, hear, hear my argument. Okay. Against Fulham, Europa League, we were just talking about this earlier. They clapped for Fulham when they beat them in the Europa League and trashed Juventus and ruined their reputation as a big giant at the time. And I thought that was really nice. The game ended and there they were clapping. Obviously, Ronaldo then comes to their stadium with his giant Real Madrid club full of stars and he scores a beautiful bicycle kick. And they all stand on their feet and give him a standing ovation. Of course, it's the reason why we do have Ronaldo now. But I think that that's quite a nice gesture from the fans
2: great bunch great bunch of lads I
0: think so what's
2: that in Italian (laughs) (laughs) bene ragazzi (laughs) close enough close Close enough
3: enough.
1: we'll just go with that
2: Nina JJ Matt thank you ever so much for joining us on this episode two of AFC Telegraph Uh, we will look forward to seeing you all next week you all in yeah fantastic That's all from Telegraph Audio Football Club. You'll never guess how to find us on your podcast provider. If you want to subscribe, just search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. If you want to contact me before next week's episode, it's at Tom with an H Gibbs on your Twitter. Thanks very much to Avi Patterson on the buttons, and thanks to you, of course, for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for your patience. Let's have the identity of this week's mystery player. Yes, that's right. I'm Dean Ashton, former West Ham, Norwich and crew Alexandra striker and you've been listening to The Telegraph Audio Football Club.